Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. On this week's episode, I'm delighted to share with you another talk from our archives. This talk is the second that was given by Paul Mallard at the Pastoral Refreshment Conference in 2017. The following audio isn't as high quality as you might have come to expect from our podcast, but I do hope that you will bear with it as there are many treasures to be found in this message on keeping in step with the Spirit. It's great to be uh, back again and uh, just love the, the worship at the beginning there, just, just helping us to focus on the fact that although we're going to be talking about some difficult things in the next uh, half an hour, 40 minutes, we're, we're also going to be focusing beyond those things, beyond the battle that we face uh, to the captain of our salvation, the one who's conquered for us, the one in whose train we march and victors to him who overcame the evil one. Go to your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me just remind you of the kind of um, way in which Ephesians fits together. I think it was Watchman Nee who described Ephesians as sit, walk, stand. Uh, the first three chapters are all about our spiritual position in Christ. There are no imperative, no commands. It simply says, feed upon Christ, see who he is, and be amazed at the glory of your salvation. Just just see the phenomenal grace of God in Christ. So that wonderful uh, sentence that begins the book, which is 202 words from verse 3 all the way down to verse 14, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then a prayer at the end of chapter 1 that we might know the power of God and the hope that we have and the glory of Christ. And then this amazing truth of salvation in chapter 2. Uh, he's saved us why by grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone and he's brought us into the fellowship of the church. All the barriers are gone. No Greek or Gentile, no male nor female. We're, we're brought into one body. And again, there are no imperatives. This is what you must do. It simply says, drink up this food. Drink up this truth. And, and then you come to the end of, of chapter 3 that we looked at yesterday where Paul prays that they might know, not just as a theological Dictum, but they might know powerfully within their hearts the love of God. You might know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled for all the fullness of God. And then that amazing benediction at the end of chapter 3, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Along to this point, it's been saying, Realize your position as a believer. Just drink it in. Just be thrilled. When we get to chapter 4, he begins to say, now how do we live in the light of that? And, and, the, and the command to walk is in verse 1, walk in a way that's worthy. And it runs through the whole of chapter uh, uh, 4, 5 and 6. Walk in a wise way, walk in a pure way, walk in the truth. And you can find that little phrase coming up over and over again. And he applies the Christian life to a whole range of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, in, in the first 16 verses of chapter 4, within the church, and then on into the world, and then on into the home, and into the workplace, in the church, unity. And it's diversity, but unity. In the world, purity. 
and holiness. In the home, harmony. Husbands and wives, parents and children. In the workplace, integrity. Walk in the light of what God has done for you. Sit with Christ and all these blessings. Walk in a way that's worthy. And then the last section from verse 10 to verse 20 is stand. Stand. All of these blessings, everything that you've heard so far, and all of these challenges to live for the glory of Christ, you have an enemy who will do everything in his power to destroy them. You have to stand firm. You have to put on the whole armour of God. You have to fight in the spiritual battle. So that's the kind of breakdown of, of Ephesians. What we're, what we're doing uh, this morning is looking at three texts, three verses in chapters 4 and 5 and 6. Three commands that come uh, imperatives, one negative, two positive, on how we're supposed to uh, overcome sin in the power of the Spirit. The whole section from chapter 4 verse 17 down to chapter 5 and verse 21 is the battle for holiness. Verse 17 of chapter 4, don't be like the pagans. You used to be in the world, you were blind to God, you didn't know God, you were following your own ways. God has plucked you out, don't go back. He saved you from sin, how on earth could you want to go back to it? Don't be like the pagans, that's verse 17. And then verse 22 of chapter 4, he gives a series of things that we have to do. Put off this, put on this. It's like getting up in the morning, you put on half your pyjamas, you put on your clothes. Put off sin. Put on Christ and obedience to Christ. And we're going to pick up our reading in chapter 4 and verse 29. Chapter 4 and verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And down to verse 15. Verse 15, be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music. From your hearts to the Lord, always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another as of reverence for Christ. And then finally down to verse uh, chapter 6, and just verse 17, verse 17, Paul spoken about standing firm and taking the armour of God. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is God's word. <laughs> our hearts this morning. Dave was one of the first converts we had in, uh, in, in the church in Chippenham where I was on the past. It took quite a long time for someone to get converted, but when Dave was converted, he was converted with you know, fireworks and bells and all the rest. It was just wonderful. Dave was what we call these days, a scallop. He went up to the football every, every week and he told me, I used to love the football, I used to love the fighting even more. 
He had a vicious temper and he had a violent man. And uh, he would walk past the church on a Sunday morning to get his news of the world, and he'd walk past and he'd see these Christians coming out of the church. And, and he told me afterwards, for a long time I'd watch them and I'd think, oh, they're a lot of wallets. But something drew it. And, and the very first time he came across the threshold, he said, I was more terrified coming into the church than I would have been in the middle of a, a bunch of Millwall fans. Now, here's man Millwall, that's pretty phenomenal. <laughs> and he said, I came in, and, and, and people were lovely towards him, particularly bearing in mind that, that, that his mouth was pretty vile. I mean, he had a, a vocabulary of swear words next to no one I've ever met in all my life. He knew words I've never heard of before. I didn't want to know them, but, you know, he shared them. So he was he was a real, real tough guy. After about six months, he came under conviction of sin. And uh, he came to me after one of the services and he said, Look, I, I, I want to become a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. But here's my problem. He said, I, I, I know I swear too much. So what I've decided, I'm going to stop swearing and then I'm going to become a Christian. <laughs> I said, Dad, you've got it all the wrong way around. You come to Jesus as you are, and he accepts you as you are, and he'll deal with your tongue. And of course, that's what he did, and he was wonderfully saved, and the occasional kind of word would, would find his way to the vocabulary when he was excited, but, but God actually did cleanse his, his tongue. And we had this wonderful uh, baptism and this marvelous testimony, and all these old folks from the brethren background were just thrilled with someone very different from them, thank the Lord. About six months down the line, and Dave said, Can I come and see you? I said, Yes. He said, Okay, see me one evening. He said, I don't think I'm a Christian. I really don't think I'm a Christian. I said, What would what, what, you do? And he told me some story. He worked in a factory, something that had gone wrong, and he'd lost his temper, and he kind of blown a fuse, and afterwards he just an action. And he said, This is my business. He said, I, I, yeah, Before I, I, I was a Christian, before I became a Christian, I didn't care what I did. I didn't care what I thought. I didn't care what I said. And you know what? I, I kind of dig, dig, dig down and say, I really love Jesus and I want to follow Jesus. I, I, I can't do anything more. And yet I still keep on doing wrong things and I, but I can't stop myself and I, and I keep falling and I keep saying things I shouldn't be thinking things. I can't be a Christian, can I? Matt comes, he must have seen me smiling. I said, he said, What are you smiling for? I said, Dave, welcome to the club. Because <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it's like to be a Christian. The constant daily battle with sin. The biggest problem in ministry, the biggest problem in leadership, is not difficult elders or spotless deacons or, or whatever you might have in your denomination, bishops who, who don't fish. But you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, which is the real problem, it's in our own hearts. It's our own struggle for holiness. Calling Romans 7, I take Romans 7 to describe the believer's experience, is talking about a divided self. Deep down inside my real me, the new creation that I am in Christ, which is, the, which is the, what I actually am, love the law of God, love the word of God, want to obey the Lord, and yet I find this, this, this alien that's always pulling me inside. He uses this image, it's like a body of death, like a corpse around my neck. Uh, one of the old commentators, one of the Puritans, said at some point in, in the history of the world, there were a group of people who tortured you by taking the corpse and chaining it to your neck. So that, you know, you can imagine what it's like. If you, if you, if your arms are not free, you can't get rid of the corpse, and you have this rotting corpse chaining it to your chest, toe to toe, uh, nose to nose, just, 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 um, it's, it's pretty horrible to think about. 
never think I've got four whiskers in the back. That is, it's old nature. And it's pulling me down and it's pulling me apart. I was speaking at a university just uh, a couple of months ago and, and, and I was speaking on the subject of the back of this sit. And I said to these guys, you know, these fresh faced enthusiastic students, you know what students are like, just going to win the world and all this kind of stuff, and just full of enthusiasm for Jesus. And I said, you know what, I'm 16, I'm still back on this sit. And they were amazed, they were amazed how old I was. <laughs> even more than that, they were amazed that after all this time, they're still back on the old movie says as that as I get towards the end of the river Jordan, I can still feel the devil nipping at my heels. It's a battle the whole way through. So that's what we're thinking about this morning. Now, if that's not depressed you, I'm fighting. But, but you know, the point is that, that, that actually, when I started talking about joy, what is it that would destroy our joy? Well, sin will destroy our joy. But we're not to be pessimistic this morning. The battle with sin is not the only thing that we're talking about. Here's this amazing truth. God has unleashed the power of his Holy Spirit into our lives. The Spirit of God, the life of God, is within the soul of human beings, men and women. The, the, the phenomenal life of God that, that kind of brings order to the chaos of creation is at work within our lives. The greatest miracle that God does today is to take a sinful man and woman out of a sinful world, make them holy, put them back in a sinful world, and keep them holy. And that's what God does. Holiness doesn't mean isolation. Holiness means being like Christ in this world to the glory of God, so that people will see Jesus and, and, and will want to be like him, want to follow him. So, with that said, I want to cite three texts from the passage that we, uh, passages that we read. Three commands. The first is negative, do not grieve the Spirit. The second to a positive, be filled with the Spirit and take up the sword of the Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit, the agenda of the Holy Spirit, is to help us to overcome in the battle against sin. Look at verse 29 of chapter 4. Verse 29 of chapter 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Wherefore, unwholesome there is a word which is used in Greek to describe rotten fruit. You know, it's like when you get a bag of apples, and one of the apples right at the centre goes bad, and you don't see it, and then you open the bag, and all of the apples have been affected. Rotten fruit, just one bad apple. And you say, look, your words are like that. You can speak lots of positive words, but one or two bad and wholesome words can destroy your testimony. And in that context, he says, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Watch what you say and be careful in particular that you do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, now what I'm about to say, I think is probably the single most important thing we need to take away from these two days. Okay? You know when a preacher says that, you kind of pick up your ears. It's kind of a, a way of getting attention when people are fighting. But actually, it's true. This is true. What I'm about to say is really important. Okay, you ready? Most important thing you can understand about the Holy Spirit is that he is a divine and holy person. He is a divine and holy person. He's not a force, he's not an energy, he's not like electricity, he's not something you kind of plug into. The Holy Spirit is a divine person, along with the Father and the Son, he is a divine person, co-equal and co-eternal, to be loved and to be honoured and to be adored. 
Remember, I mentioned how Paul begins this letter. If you just glance back for a moment at chapter 1, remember Paul is writing only 30 years, probably, into the life of the church. The church has only been around for 30 years, and yet from verse 3 down to verse 14, we won't read it, but, but in 200 words, uh, 202 words, he describes this glorious and, and mysterious wonder of the triune God. The Trinity comes up over and over and over again in Ephesians, and Paul begins there. He begins with the Father. The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He said his love upon us before ever there were stars or planets or anything. Why? For the praise of his glory. And the Son came and died for us upon the cross, bearing the shame and the sin and the punishment of the sin that we deserve, so that we might be reconciled to God, so that one day God, through Christ, will bring harmony to the whole universe. Why? For the praise of his glory. And the Holy Spirit came into the life of every believer to seal them to the day of redemption. Why? For the praise of his glory. 202 words. Remember at school when they said, where you put a full stop when you take a breath. We can imagine Paul is breathless as he describes it. He just, I would hate to have been his scribe or his secretary. Slow down, Paul. But he's just flowing out of him. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there's a wonderful order there, but there's also an equality there. We should think of the Father and the Son and the Spirit in the same way. And the problem is we don't. We don't. In front of the prayer meeting, and people are praying for the Spirit and say, Lord, we need your Spirit, send it to us. That's maybe kind of sinful a little bit. Maybe you can pray that prayer yourself. First time my wife and I went to America, we, oh, 25 years ago, I was up in Detroit and we watched some of the um, American God TV channels. I've never seen them before. And I, I, thought, I thought I was watching Monty Python. I was just dying, getting very sweaty, very sweaty, American <coughs> evangelist, and you know, the next one like that. And he, he pulls his, his handkerchief out of his pocket and takes his car and he says, Do you know what he said? The Holy Spirit is now in this condition. And if you send me $50, you can have a corner. What? What is this? Is this, is this for real? And yet, what? But, but you know, as people who probably know better than that, but I hope they know better than that, do we really think that this people is a person? Do we really truly think in terms of person? When we're talking about the power of the Spirit of God, we're talking about a relationship. So it's easy to think of the Father in personal terms because we have the concept of Father. We know what Father is like. It's easy to think of the Son in personal terms because of the incarnate in Jesus. We all know about Jesus and He's precious to But the Holy Spirit is in some ways mysterious. It's like the wind or breath or fire or the dew of the morning. And of course the Holy Spirit's delight is to, is to glorify Jesus. In that book that was mentioned last night, could be instead of the Spirit. Um, Pappy uses the illustration of a, of a cathedral. And you know, you see this beautiful cathedral at night and the, and the light is shining at the cathedral. What do you do? Well, you don't go and look at the light and say, that's an amazing light. I mean, look at the wattage on that. That's the job of the, of the light is to shine on the cathedral. And, and, the, and the delight of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. Whenever we come away from the service feeling the presence of God, that's the work of the Spirit. And that's true, in fact, that's absolutely right. He describes the Spirit as the shy sovereign. He's what we call the Spirit, isn't it? And yet at the same time, He is God. And we're honouring as God. He's the agent of God who brings the blessings of God into our souls every time. 
every time you have a warm thought about Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. Every time you have comfort in sorrow, that's the work of the Spirit. Every time the Word of God burns in your heart, you're in a sermon, and, and suddenly it comes alive. That's the person of the Spirit touching your soul. Remember that illustration we used yesterday, I think it was good, wasn't it, with the purity. Yeah, walking with God, you're walking like a child with a father, you're carrying the father, touching his arms, and, and, and hugs you, and whispers, everything's going I love you so much. Whenever we have that experience of God, that, that intimate experience of God, that's the work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who touches our souls. We're to honour him and love him and adore him. And now look at the word. I mean, back to our passage again. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do we want to know power over sin? Do we know victory over sin? Do we want to overcome sin in our life? Do we want to know what it is to grow in holiness? Well, make sure that you cultivate the kind of relationship with the Spirit. The word grieve is a love word. It's a love word. You could say, don't make the Spirit angry. You could say, don't despise the Spirit. What he says is, don't grieve the Spirit. In my um, early days of ministry, I was the surgery every Wednesday morning. And I had only been a pastor for very long, maybe 15 years. Uh, when I had three people, one of them coming and telling me how bad my ministry was, how rubbish I was. One of them was, 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 was okay, because I was sweet, but, but nonetheless, it was kind of a night in the, we're not doing very well, we don't like your sermons, this, that, and the other. I've got to say, I behaved phenomenally well. I was, I was, I was kind of reasonable and gentle, and oh yeah, well, good, and thank you for telling me, I'll think about it, I'll pray about it. I went home fuming. And you know, my comfort food is baked beans. Mm. I just love baked beans. So I got home and I said to my wife, Look, she said, What's going on? I just like, Terrible. Oh. She said, What do you want to do? I need mean, baked beans. <laughs> and she said, Oh, I went shopping this morning. I forgot to get the baked beans. I absolutely hit the roof. I was furious. Why don't we have tins upon tins upon tins of baked beans? You know what I like? I can put up with anything in life as long as I've got babies and I kind of go this youth diatribe because instead of getting angry with the people I should have been angry with, I was angry with the person I shouldn't have been angry with. Yeah, when we do that ministry, don't we? Guys. Yeah? Your wife probably seen that and felt with and maybe I don't know whether ladies do it as well, probably it's more of a man thing. But you know, and, 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 and then at some point after this 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 raging, I noticed my wife is really upset. She was she was on the verge of crying. What a monster. So I took her on my lap and we kissed and I apologized for the use of and sent her down the shop for some beer. <laughs> <laughs> here's the point, here's the point. I'm worried Here's the point, here's the point. I was grieving her, you know, without really knowing it. Okay, the people who are most intimate, the people that you're closest to, the people who are most precious to you, are the ones that you can grieve most. Then I don't get grieved when the postman puts my letters through the wrong letterbox. I get grieved when my kids do something that breaks my heart. And the Holy Spirit is grieved when we sin. He's grieved when we love sin more than holiness. I remember hearing a sermon. You hear some sermons and they change your life and you never forget them. I remember hearing R.T. Kendall. Do you remember R.T.? R.T. Kendall, American preacher, preaching on his text. And he said, uh, from his experience, he said, you know, the difference between us Americans and you Brits is that you never know when you've upset a Brit. 
if you upset an American, say, like, they'll tell you. If you upset a Brit, like you're smiling, you're very apologetic. You, you say, you tread on a, on, on a Brit's toe, and you will apologise to me for having big feet. That's the way it works. And many circles never forget, and said, you know, I think, I feel, I believe that Holy Spirit is more British in that way, than you can breathe the Spirit and you don't know. You don't feel suddenly, suddenly, you know, the Spirit is gone. Remember Samson? Rose up to fight the Philistine, and he didn't know God. Do not breathe the Holy Spirit. How do we breathe the Spirit? Well, it's the Spirit of holiness, so sin breathes in, the things that we watch on the internet breathes in. You won't feel the sudden rush, the Spirit is gone, and you won't lose, leave you because he's the seal for the day of redemption, but his blessing, his help will, will be gone. We, 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 we breathe him when we lie because he's the Spirit of truth. The principle, I think, and this is the context here, we grieve him when we're bitter and unforgiving. Look at verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, there's the negative, here's the positive, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and Christ God forgave you. What is it that grieves the Spirit more than anything else? I think it is a hard heart and a bitter heart and an unforgiving spirit. Um, I, I, I look back up in my ministry and some of the hardest things I've had to do is to help people who've been badly damaged. So wives who've been badly damaged by what their husbands have done, or children have been damaged by their parents, or parents whose hearts have been broken by their kids. Uh, I'm a dad, I'm a granddad, the most acute pain I think I ever have is the pain I get from my kids if I do something that I shouldn't do. That's the most acute pain. Now, I, 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 I'm not really preaching on this this morning, but I, I, you know, we come to a conference like this, and how many of us here are struggling because our kids are not following the law? And we feel, you know, guilt complex is kind of almost like the standoff position, the, the background position for all parents. We wish we could have done this, we wish we could have done that. And, and, and you know, dealing with parents who feel broken because of their kids, dealing with church members <coughs> who've been kind of battered by a by heavy shepherding, come to church. And I say to those of you who preach, when God's people come to church, they already feel the things of God. They don't need you to beat them up from the pulpit, but they need you to show that you to help them to keep going. You know, I, I, I love the Lord's people, and sometimes as a preacher, I might be very kind to I tell them the truth, and if the truth hurts, well, well, we've got to be honest, but, but they need someone just to show them Jesus and lift them up. <laughs> and, and pastors have been beaten up. Maybe that's, that's your experience. Now, the church is very good at being excluded. Pastors have been left by the church and leaving in the gutter. And those are some of the hardest things. What do you do in that situation? What do you do when you are an innocent party and you've been damaged and you've been hurt? And Jesus said, Seven times in one day, you've got to forgive. How many times will it? Seven times? Seventy times, seven. Because you've experienced phenomenal grace. You've experienced amazing grace. And what will happen if you refuse to forgive? You will grieve your spirit. And your heart will become bitter. I I, I did a couple of seminars on this a few years ago, and I read around the subject, and I came across one guy who said that for 30 years in ministry, for 30 years in ministry, I harbor bitterness. 
and it was only in the last ten years of his ministry that the Lord sort of set him free from it. And he said this, he said, if, if you see my heart, you would have seen I preach, I preach more, and before I preach more, but if you see my heart, it was full of poison. If you had licked my heart, you would have died with the poison. Here's an opportunity to deal with some of those issues. Well, we have to move on. We've, we've seen one thing already. First thing is that we must uh, deal with sin and not deal with spirit. Number two, here's the positive thing. Verse uh, 18 of chapter 5. That's chapter 5 and verse 18. Do not grieve the spirit. Instead, don't get drunk with wine. Please be your treat. Instead, be filled with the spirit. There's an imperative or two imperatives. One negative, don't get drunk with wine or beer or anything for that matter. And the positive, be filled with the spirit. And the filling of the spirit, I think, is used in two significant ways in the, in the New Testament. It's used to describe the, the gift of the spirit to enable us to do ministry. And, and you find that in the actual apostles. From the day of Pentecost, the spirit came and filled the disciples. And Peter preach. Later on in chapter 4 and verse 31, they've just been praying, they've been told you mustn't preach again, so they pray for boldness, and then they're in the prayer meeting, as they're praying, it says the Spirit came, the place where they were praying was shaken, they were all filled with the Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So there's a sense in which that little phrase needs to describe the way in which we minister, we need to be filled with the Spirit every time we minister God's word. Every time I preach, I ask for the filling of the Spirit. It's a Spurgeon who would go up for 15 steps into his pulpit in the uh, uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle, and after each step, he would put his, his foot down and say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The nominal ministry because he was filled with the Spirit. But there's also the filling of the Spirit, which is what Paul is talking about here, as a kind of a way of life. A way in which we are to live. To, to live a spirit-filled life. And, and certainly Acts knows about that. Remember they just the six or seven people were set aside in Acts chapter 6. And what are they to be? Men who are filled with the Spirit. Let me say what I think. And I know this is controversial, but uh, I'll tell you what I think anyway. Is that okay? Well, I can tell you anyway. <laughs> Here's what I believe. Number one, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. I think that's clear from Scripture. No such thing as a Christian without the Spirit. Number two, not all Christians are filled with the Spirit. Not all Christians are filled with the Spirit. And number three, all Christians should be filled with the Spirit. All Christians should be filled with the Spirit. As far as the first thing is concerned, I, I believe the Bible is very clear that you receive the Spirit at the time of salvation. I think in chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14, Paul talks there about historical moment. You believed the gospel, you were sealed with the Spirit. The Spirit was the stamp of God. At that moment in time, the Spirit filled you, uh, the Spirit came into your life, the seal of God in the life of, of human beings. When we come to chapter 5 and verse 18, however, he's talking about something different. And for those of you who like the Greek, you will know that this is an imperative mood, a plural form, a present voice, uh, sorry, a passive voice and a present tense. You did know that, didn't you? And, and I don't want to give you a Greek lesson, but all of those things are important. Number one, it's imperative mood. In other words, this is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not a hint or a suggestion or a, or a nice idea. It's a firm, strong, urgent command. In other words, if we are not filled with the Spirit, we're disobeying the command of Scripture. Okay? 
And, and it's interesting, it's in a series of commands, all the way through the previous few verses, there are positive commands, there are negative commands, and here is a command, do not get drunk with wine, my negative command, be filled with the Spirit, imperative. Number two, it's plural in form, which actually means all of you be filled with the Spirit. This isn't something that is just for preachers who get filled with the Spirit in order to preach, or elders, or church leaders, or bishops, or missionaries, or the, the supersonic Christians, you know, the elite of the elect. This is for all believers. In other words, being filled with the Spirit is normal Christian living. It's what was supposed to be all of us. Number three, it's passive voice. In other words, it's not something we do, it's something we seek. It's not a it's not a human achievement, it's a divine gift. We come with our hands empty and open, and we say, Lord, I need you. I need your spirit to help me, I need him to fill me. I need this, and you come with an open heart. And then fourthly, and this is most important of all, it's in the present tense. In chapter 1 and verse 13, where of course they've been sealed, or you were sealed, it's the air is born, which means it was once and for all and forever. You were sealed with the Spirit, end of story. The Holy Spirit came and sealed you, that was, a, that was a moment in time. At the end of Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching, what must we do? Uh, believe and be baptized, and you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Spirit. At one moment in time, the gift of the Spirit is given. This command. This command is present tense, and it literally means be being filled. In other words, it's not once and for all. It's not I was filled with the Spirit on the 4th of March 1957, and that's the end of the story. It's a daily Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit by believing. How many times did you believe this morning? Did you count it? Well, sure you didn't. But it was more than once, wasn't it? Several times you've been breathing, it's not much air in this room. Is it phenomenally happy? It's pretty airless. Have you got a window? Is that a window? Can we open it? It's real. There we go. There we go. But we breathe in. It's an ongoing thing. You didn't breathe in, you die. And that's the, that's the idea here. So, what is it actually? You know, now, 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 this comes to the heart of that thing. To be filled with anything in the New Testament means to be controlled. But what happens if you're filled with wine? You've all seen people filled with wine, it affects everything. The way they walk, the way they talk, the way they think, the way they act, the way they respond, the way they relate. If you're filled with the Spirit, says Paul, that's the sun. If you're filled with joy, you see people filled with joy, and you know, it kind of flows out, it just kind of shines on their face. Or people filled with anger. Or filled with the, to be filled with the Spirit means to be filled, to be controlled by God. My life surrendered to Him. Every part of my life. And, and that's the whole context here, isn't it? Working out our salvation in every area of our lives. And so in the next few verses, he said, you'll do with your relationship with God. You'll, you'll speak to God in praise and thanksgiving. You'll speak to one another. And you will submit to one another. And it's no accident that immediately it flows into relationships within the home. How can I live a spirit-filled life by taking the Word of God and in the power of God seeking to live through His power that every area of my life is in conformity with the Scriptures? And in the home, in my relationships in the home. I, 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 this isn't a marriage refreshment or renewal conference, and I know some of you are uh, a single folk here today, but it's to me the feeling of the Spirit 
has always to, to recognise the importance of maintaining my marriage as being a key thing in my ministry. I minister out of my marriage. My marriage is peripheral. And as a minister, and I know some of you ladies are a minister as well, so it's very close to you just as much as you would to some of the guys. In ministry, one of the big problems is, is you get emotionally exhausted and then you've got nothing to give your wife. You know, I've come back from an elders meeting, and we're good elders meetings, we great for three hours, and we've been around there, around there, around the houses, and I've come back, and my wife said, what are you talking about? And I'm talking about, because I've got no energy. I have a day off as a Monday. It's not a wise day I have to go Monday, because I'm pretty shattered after Sunday, but there we go. And I said to my wife, what do you want to do? And she said, wouldn't it be nice to go to the garden? What is the attraction of a garden centre? Can someone tell me? You never understood it. There's nothing in a garden centre that ever interests me in the world. But, but I love her, and so I get in the car with her, and we we go after that, and we're halfway there, and then she says those words that send a cold shiver down my spine. You know, the most terrifying words in the whole world. Talk to me. <laughs> I'm a professional talker. It's what I do all the time. You talk to me. No, 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 no. You talk to me. Well, I'll be a good game. I'm not football. Anything but football. You see the point? You see the point? I'm, I'm, I'm emotionally burnt out. What have I got for my wife? Nothing. To be filled with the Spirit is to see that my marriage is a key thing for my ministry. But my relationship with my kids is a testing for my ministry. But, but, but what I see and what I do, and to be filled with this way, is to come to God and say, God, I need you today to help me to be the kind of man you want me to be. My, my early years, I, I was convinced of the age of 17, I had, what I guess in those days would be described as a charismatic experience. I, I was just searching for more of God. There were very often teenagers uh, converted young, I wasn't a Christian now, but I, I just wanted more of God. And, and so I had an experience, which I've got to say was, was a wonderful experience of God. Just a wonderful experience of, of Jesus being more and more. I had no doubt at all, no doubt at all, it was the Holy Spirit making Jesus special. That, that's what it was. And, and it was a turning point in my life. I, I praised God for it. I, for a long time, I described it as baptism in the Spirit. I don't think I've used that phrase these days, but, but you know, what's that among friends? I, I say it was a moment of meeting with God and being filled with the Spirit, and it was marvelous. But what it left me with was a kind of a, a, a misapprehension of the work of the Spirit. I kind of thought of the work of the Spirit as me holding out my, my, my life, my, my little hands, and, and the Spirit fills you, and it, it took place at the age of 17, and now I've got a long way to go, and I've got to be very careful. I don't spill the water. I was filled with the Spirit. That was once and for all. That's done and dusted. That's the end of it. And then suddenly I came across the person, deep being for them. What's it like? There's my little, little beaker of wine. And what do I do? I come every day to the, to the Niagara Falls of the glory and the goodness of God. Now, we, we went to Niagara a few years ago when we were in America. We stopped the car and you can hear the noise. We went on the night of the mist and you just see this, this phenomenal thousands of gallons of water and the fullness of the life of God in the person of the Spirit. And we come with our, our tiny little beaker, our tiny little lives, and we say, Lord, fill me fresh. Fill me fresh. And every day 
We have one more to go, and time is, is escaping, so very quickly, let's look at the last one, just, just very briefly, over to chapter uh, 6. Uh, having spoken about all these things, Paul then moves on to uh, speak about the dangerous spiritual warfare. Verse 10, finally, strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Um, uh, in a sense, you kind of read it, you think, well, chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, I almost left field. He's been talking about the church and the world and the home and the workplace, and, and then suddenly the devil comes from behind the curtains. I know, don't you realize you're fighting against the devil, spiritual battles and so on, and put on the armor and, and, and stand firm and, and get ready and so on? And actually, that's very wise here. So, you know, why is it difficult in the church? Why do we have this unity? Why do people behave in the wrong way? Why do we have this battle against sin as a constant battle? Why is it that, that, that so often there are issues in our lives and issues in our churches? Because there's an enemy. We need to take him very seriously. We need to be aware that we're engaged in spiritual warfare. Let me tell you something today. The devil hates your marriage. Okay, think about that for a moment. The devil hates your marriage because if he can drive a wedge between husband and wife, he will effectively drive a wedge between the church. He hates your kids. Some of when I was at university, some guy had a poster on his wall. I seen the poster, and it's, it's a night time, and the, the curtains are up, and the moonlight is displaying onto a bed. And there's a little boy lying in the bed, and there's his dad, and his dad is on his knees and he's praying, and you can see the kind of sweat on his dad's brow as he's praying, and he's crying to God, and he's saying, "Oh God, have mercy on my son." I can't imagine his son. And underneath, just two words: spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare at his precious to God, and therefore they're hated by the devil. The devil is real, and the devil is cunning, and the devil is malicious. The devil hates you. And so Paul ends this section with that, but he didn't want to just say, well, the devil's tough, so, so you know, we're in a, in a battle, and, and that's it. But he said, this God has given you all the resources you need. He's given you all the armor you need. He's given you everything you need in order to overcome the devil. And, and, and we could spend Lots of sessions looking at that. But just pick up the last one, end of verse 17. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The greatest, greatest tool we have, the greatest weapon we have to conquer the devil is the Scriptures. And it's described as the sword of the Spirit. One of the things that I want to take away from these, these three sessions is that as far as God is concerned, the Word and the Spirit go together. Right, so the of the church is when we divide. The Word and the Spirit belong together. I mean, I, I love doing weddings, don't you? Some of you conduct weddings and you stand at the front. I always, I go to the back, welcome the bride, and then uh, I see the bride, I go to the front, I give the nod to the, to, the, to the groom, and he stands up, and she walks down the aisle, and he kind of turns and looks at her. And everybody looks at the bride, because they're seeing her for the first time. I don't look at I look at him. Because you know, he can kind of turn and looks at me. Wow. Boy. And she scrub up well, this is amazing, you know. And, and, and then they come to the front, and then they make these vows. And then to me, the most wonderful moment, and the most solemn moment, 
is when you pause and understood this Australian solemn, looking out of the whole congregation, those who God has joined together that no one is something. Very precious moment, very solemn moment. In the scripture, God has put together his word and his spirit. Those who God has joined together that no one could sunder. I come from a background where we're very, very hot on the word. And when we are suspicious of people who talk too much about the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mm-hmm. the Spirit glorify Jesus talk about Jesus? Don't tell us about the Spirit. And I have to learn in my spiritual journey that I need the Spirit to make the word come alive. I desperately need the Spirit. I need the Spirit every time I preach. My, my preaching has changed over the years, so I spend probably not quite as much, but almost as much time in prayer for a sermon as I do in, in exegesis. I, 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 I wrestle with the text, and then I wrestle with God, what is it you want me to say? Because once I've understood the text, I don't puzzle, what does the Spirit want to say to the church today? And it has importance. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, God has given us his word. I say last night I went to study theology. I, I, I imagine that, of course, I'm a, a non-Christian having a working class. I'm not in my family ever been to college or university, and I, I, I went to study theology at Cambridge, working class lad, and I turned up, and the first weekend I said, there's going to be a garden party for you that will open. I said, what's a good thing? It's a party in the garden. So I'm stood there, and, and this guy comes across, and he says, have you found a job down here? He says, have you found a church here? Yeah, I'm going to go to Eden Baptist Church. And he took one step back, and he said, Eden Baptist? You're not an evangelical. You evangelicals, he said, you're very nice, he said, but we have this strange thing you believe the Bible in. And he said, you're going to stay. You're going to stay. And I did. The first year was awful. I had professed my professor of the Old Testament, didn't believe in Moses or Abraham. My professor of the New Testament believed that the resurrection was an existential mystical experience. And at capital, I had John Cupid. He went to John Cupid. John Cupid described himself as an agnostic Christian Buddhist. Which is, yeah. and, and at the end of my first year, I went, I went with Owen for this summer, and, and at the end of that summer, I thought, I'm not going to have a million words. I wouldn't have to go with Owen and, and, and tell people about Jesus and just really tough. But, but someone persuaded me, and you know, by the end of the second, first film and the second year, I didn't have any problems anymore. Have you read the Bible through Billy Gray where he goes into the wood and puts the Bible on the tree front and says, Lord, this is your word, so I'm not going to move from it? I had a very similar experience. Now, I, I, the Bible's true. The Bible's true. And I could give you a thousand reasons why I believe the Bible's true, but the principle is not believe the Bible's true. It's the testament of the Holy Spirit. I read the Bible and I hear the voice of God. I read the Bible and I see the face of Jesus. I read the Bible and I know in my heart it's true, because the Spirit says it's true. And it's written on my heart. And, 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 and here's the thing. The devil will try and undermine your confidence in Scripture in any single way that he can. And if he doesn't, well, it's a tool that God uses to fight against the sin. We have to go away knowing that if we trust in the Spirit and believe in the Word of God, and, and not to suffer the two things that God's put together. Stored in the Spirit. At times, God looks very quickly. Let's not end by, by being negative. But what does the Spirit do to his work and shows his things? 
we need to know our enemy, what we're saying there. We need to know our weapons. But more than that, more than that, more than that, we need to know our country. We need to know the one who conquers sin and death and hell and who is alive forever. William Sangster, who was a great Methodist preacher in his generation, he had an old uncle who was uh, an old farm boy out in the country in East Anglia, and he never visited London before. Sangster was the, the, the minister of the biggest Methodist church in London, and this old boy came to see him one day. Christian man, and he said to Sanctus, what would you like to do? I'll say to you anyone, do anything you want. And the old boy said, I would like to go and see the promise of his soul. He loved his music, see his soul. So I'd like to understand the book here, and we got a good ticket as well, and before, and they sat there in the performance in the sky. And we get to the bit where it says, Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he will reign forever. King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he will reign forever. Sanctuary to cross the old boy in terrible rolling down the chest. That's more inside you than sitting in That's more inside King of kings and Lord of kings and his authority. Brothers and sisters, we fight against sin every day, we despise it. But that's something that's one the way. He'll never let us go. He'll bring us to the end of the journey. And no one of the great joys of heaven he will never send us to not there. Imagine seeing Jesus be transformed to be loved in the moment of freedom and power, and we will never see Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, Consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders or you can visit our website www.livingleadership.org where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings.